Hello and welcome to episode four of another architecture podcast. I'm George Bradley, architect and director of London-based studio Bradley van der Straten. And this podcast is for anyone who's interested in going behind the scenes of designing a house. I talk to architects from around the world about how they create inspirational places to live. In this episode, I talk to Ray Din, design associate at Austin Maynard Architects in Melbourne, Australia. We talk about their amazing award-winning project, Empire House. It is a suburban bungalow located in Canberra that has been radically transformed with the addition of two extensions. The additions are pavilions, both separated from the existing building by glass corridors. As well as being physically distinct, they are also visually distinct from the host building and clad in scaly zinc shingles. It's a very unique way of transforming an existing house. The fact that they are pavilions means that the spaces inside, which are a new bedroom and a new kitchen, are cross-lit and cross-ventilated and they have 360-degree views of the garden. It was really interesting to hear about the design process of this project. Austin Maynard's work is so rich and they have so many good house designs that I could have picked any of them to focus on in this episode. If you don't know their work, I highly recommend checking it out. So much inspiration for well-designed houses. I hope you enjoy listening to the episode. Ray, thank you for joining the podcast. Hey, George. Thanks for having me. Um, so, Austin Maynard, you guys are prolific. Um, it's difficult to keep up with the amount of amazing houses that you design. Uh, but surprisingly, you're actually a relatively small team. I think quite similar to our company. What's your secret? How are you managing such an output? <laughs> prolific is a very nice way to say it. Uh, when we do have potential clients come through and they get on our website, it can be a bit overwhelming sometimes, even after yeah. we've cleaned it up. But um, yeah, there's, there's eight of us in the office, which is relatively small. And you know, we, we do um, kind of have a lot of, a lot of built work that's executed. Um, I think... I think the reason that we do is a lot to do uh, with with our approach and and our focus as well. Our focus is really just to get these projects built. So we have high, quite a high hit rate of projects that actually come through the door at the start that actually you know get built in the end. And we're pretty proud of all our projects and put the same care into all of them. And I think on our website that's that's pretty much all of the projects that we've completed. So, you know, we don't kind of have the, the hidden back end of work that nobody sees or the, the projects that keep the office going. I think, uh, yeah, we, our, our projects on the website, it looks like a lot because that's pretty much all the projects we do. <laughs> so it's very, I mean, it's a consistent quality. I mean, it's, I mean, we could be talking about any of your houses today. I think we'll probably have to focus on on one really because there's so many to cover. Um, but I like the I like the term you use of hit rate, as in I, I think you mean there of um, projects that actually get built, so not inquiries that turn into projects. What's what's the secret then to um, to getting these projects over the line from them? Because it's quite common, isn't it, with architects? We've had lots yeah. of projects, so you do drawings, and then it just doesn't go from there, or there's some sort of glitch. Um, what do you think is the reason for you having such a high, as you say, hit rate? Um, I think there's a few things. One of the uh, one of the things that we think is part of the hit rate is kind of our profile as well. So we already um, have a filter of clients 
who come to us because they see our work and they, they like our work. And, you know, a lot of our work is kind of a bit more playful or might be kind of a bit unusual. Um, but it kind of brings a certain kind of owner who's up for doing something a bit different. So already there's a little bit of commitment in there. And another part of it is definitely a lot, I think, to do with process and, you know, probably surprisingly to some people, we're, we're quite pragmatic in our work and very early on at the end of sketch design, our goal is to, um, is to get a concept design that everybody's happy with. But one of the first things we do early on is get a quantity surveyor involved. So I know that's quite a, a boring answer, but um, getting some clarity around costs and the brief as early as possible and you know, starting to manage the two um, is, is a big part of um, building the, the trust with clients, but also getting a project that we're all excited about, but also having some focus and direction to, to keep it moving. And, you know, at the start, once we, once we build that trust and, and have kind of a realis- realistic expectation about what we'll do, the project seems to keep rolling on. And, you know, we put a lot of, a lot of time and effort to keep it going. And luckily, we have uh, a, lot, a lot of our projects do go through to construction. And, you know, then we get some nice photographs to go up on the website. <laughs> I mean, that's interesting that you talk about the sort of pragmatism and the prote- uh, protest, uh, the mm. process. Uh, I think protest has been used actually as a reference on, on your website for some of your projects, actually. Yeah. But um, uh, in terms of process, um, because I think, I mean, definitely the work is, it's exciting. It's quite daring work as well. I think mm. um, there's definitely an energy to your kind of stream of projects that it's, you never kind of rest on your laurels. You can see from, from, from that but behind the scenes actually to achieve something like that you could easily think it's it's quite sort of gung-ho but actually there is a real kind of organized process do you have a kind of filter in terms of clients coming in because you mentioned something earlier that's sort of saying you, you use the word filters and do you often yeah. are there are lots of clients that you turn away um the short answer would be would be yes uh, a lot of it's around costs and overheads and budgets again slightly boring things but you know very important things and quite early on you know i'll be on the on the phone to clients and we'll just get an idea from them of what their budget is what their brief is and if it sounds realistic you know we're very keen to be involved but so and what about what about fit is that is that a key kind of part of that initial discussion with the client yeah i think so i think i think you can pick that up um, in that first meeting, you know, almost like a, like a date, you kind of, you kind (laughs) of understand a little bit how you get on because it's two or three year process. And, you know, you want to make sure that you're, you'd be happy seeing each other and emailing each other every day and seeing each other on site every couple of weeks. But I think, you know, we're the the people who come to us, you know, we tend to be quite aligned as well um, in our approach and our view. So, you know, I think a lot of a lot of these initial inquiries kind of work themselves out, but also a lot of them, you know, they seem to work and we get going. And once they're on board then, um, so, you know, you've had all this chat, you've kind mm. of filtered out the, you know, is it going to work and is it a sort of doable project? In terms of the kind of creative ideas, I've seen, I've seen some beautiful sketches um, that I'm assuming would have been done at sort of client stage, but what's yeah. your kind of medium? How do you work with um, 
with your sort of generating ideas and that kind of back and forth before kind of getting to that stage of kind of getting it costed or going ahead it's like are you working with sketches do you work with models what's oh, yes, what's your yes. preferred so uh, we actually don't do much um physical model making unfortunately you know it's quite time consuming and it's, it is something that i think um we could focus on a bit more but um our our process is really kind of sketches you know pencil scribbling bit of uh tracing paper and but also a lot of sketchup so we do a lot of 3d modeling at the start to get a bit of a better idea around sun path and how the how the building will look or feel and one thing that we've started doing recently is um we start doing vr so we have a vr headset and you know because we already model the building in sketchup we can get clients to throw on the headset and get a bit of an idea of what it's like moving around and getting a sense of space a bit more. So it tends to be a lot of a lot of sketching and 3D images and, and just pulling kind of renders and screenshots from there. Not not necessarily renders, but just um, images straight from SketchUp. But that's really interesting. You're talking about the, the VR because I think it's such a crucial part of architecture. It's, it's great having good ideas unless they sort of translate and somebody understands what they're buying into or paying for ultimately. Yeah. Um, but the VR one's very, that's one that we've kind of toyed with in question, but you're using SketchUp. You, a client can, can just literally walk through, walk through their building. Um, do you do options when you're, when you're doing these early designs or are you very kind of focused on this is the right thing for you to do to your house? Um, I think it's very dependent on on the brief and the context. So sometimes there's so many constraints and um, constraints of the context and kind of prescribed or well-described areas of the brief that when you start putting all these factors together, you know, there is quite a prevailing approach to the concept. Um, but other times... You know, you might end up with a, an empty site like St. Andrew's Beach House and there's a million different ways you could go around it. And then at that stage, you might go through some options. So, yeah, it could be very kind of discrete options around a prevailing approach or completely differing options. Yeah. I mean, any um, do you ever get surprises? Like we've definitely had it where sometimes this kind of you know, we're doing exactly what the client's asked for perhaps. And then we'll maybe doing some other designs that are kind of turning it slightly on its head. And then one that's a kind of, well, instinctively, this sort of feels right, but it's, uh, it's the kind of wild card and the client turns around surprises like, wow, I really didn't think they're going to go for that, but they really do. Have you ever had that? Cause I think like some of your projects like tower house, let's yeah. say, um, a, a fascinating project in the sense that it's this sort of series of blocks it's almost like the house has been done as this kind of little uh, village of huts but it's actually quite a big sort of sprawling house with then a tower with a ladder stairs going up for the kids and a kind of trampoline net at the top floor that they can sort of bounce on and see all the way through you know projects like that are there ever like here we go we think that you should have a tower and your house should be like a village <laughs> and you're walking away going they went for it. They really, uh, I didn't think they'd go for that one. Yeah, sometimes. Uh, that's the importance of having having the wild card and making sure that's in there because um, if it is the option that the client really is, wants to go forward with, they, they really start getting excited and, and, and on board, you know, really build that trust. Definitely, there's a lot of projects where it's the, the unusual option that the clients go for. Tower House, for example, 
Um, I think a lot of it was more around materiality, but um, the approach in that house of almost taking the, the, one of the kids' sketch and translating that to, um, to the final outcome is something that was definitely expect, unexpected. You know, we get a, a lot of um, surprise clients who are just happy with how things are going, but definitely not what they had expected. And I think... Can you tell me a little bit about that? So the, one of the children of the clients did a drawing for Tower House that then inspired the design. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So uh, I think Andrew and Mark were in the client meeting and, you know, had some initial bubble diagrams where we were talking about how to lay things out on the site. And then um, they, the clients have um, twins and one of the boys, they're, they're both drawing a house, kind of the typical, you know, pitch roof, window, what became to be the tower of Tower House. And then... Um, you know, we we were left with that on the desk, and we're like, oh, you know, it's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> the prototype house, uh, this this could work, and that's the as, as you mentioned, that's the the boys' study and net up there, and it, it's also kind of um, tower house from the street has an old single story weatherboard, and then a empty space or empty plot in between, and then the neighbor as well. So this was almost like the missing tooth. And then, you know, developing that sketch became a bit of a driver for the, the rest of the project as well. I think that's a great story, you know, the, the client and the children being involved because, you know, our houses are so much more than just sort of built form. Their stories, their narrative about us and or the owners of the building. And to be able to sort of say, oh, ah, our lad or our daughter did that. Um, must be, yeah. It must be great for the clients. They must be really proud. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, Empire House. That's one that you completed recently. Um, it also won the Canberra um, Medallion last year, um, which if I'm not too familiar with the award, but if if I'm correct, it's not necessarily just for houses. It's a, it's a really prestigious architecture award. It's quite a high accolade um, for a project of that type. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So some of Australia's most notable buildings like the National Gallery, the High Court, the Parliament of Australia have all won the Canberra Medallion. Mm-hmm. I think it, it started in 1963. And what's, but, the, what's um, the reason for Empire House winning, do you think, in your opinion? I think it is to do with our approach to heritage um, and respect for the existing building. So at the minute, the context in Canberra, and I suppose in a lot of Australia, um, is one of one of erasure where these older kind of modest interwar bungalows are, are knocked down and then, you know, new McMansion kind of buildings are taken over a place instead. But the owners here, they had quite a modest brief. You know, they really just wanted a pavilion um, or a house to catch the sun. The house itself, the old interwar bungalow, only had one previous owner before and, you know, had a lot of lovely characteristics to it. So um, our approach was to build uh, not necessarily bigger, smaller, but better. And we were looking to, um, to make some additions without our additions being a parasite to the building. So we didn't want to dominate the existing. And so we ended up with these two pavilions connected by simple glazed links. 
And it's, I mean, to describe the project, it's a bungalow. It's a very simple L shape. Um, and then at the end of each L, there's one pavilion that's a master bedroom and ensuite. And at the other end, there's a pavilion that's the kitchen and the dining space. And both of them are kind of effectively linked by what you could describe as a, as a glass tunnel. But they're very, like you said, they're very unassuming, as in from the street, it doesn't look like, if you look at the plan, it's, this big, it's, a, it's, it's a pretty sizable four-bedroom house, amazing living spaces. But from outside, it looks like somebody's sort of stuck maybe an office studio on one side or something like that, but it's all about then in the garden and how this space um, opens up. Can you tell me a little bit about that kind of process of design with, with those clients and how you kind of devise this idea of these two pavilions? And also um, you carved up the bungalow to a certain extent as well, didn't you? There's a big sort of long corridor that cuts right through the middle. Can you talk us through a little exactly. bit about that? Yeah. So, so the main moves were, as you, as you said, the, the bedroom pavilion, the kitchen pavilion and tidying up the bungalow. The bungalow itself, I think just needed some clarification. So it had a dodgy eighties kitchen right in the middle of the plan and you'd have to go through rooms to get to other rooms. But um, our first move there was to, uh, was to open up a clear line uh, of sight from the front door to the backyard and then also across the house. So we took away the kitchen and then tidied up the house itself to make it more um, livable and connected to the additions. And then the reason for the two additions, a lot of it's to do with the site itself. So on one side, um, the bedroom addition, we want to have some kind of relationship to the street but also to the rear yard. And, and we didn't want just one large addition that covered everything and took up the whole site. And then the kitchen addition, it's facing north, and we tried to pull it back away from the house as much as possible, north being the southern hemisphere sun, of yes. course. <laughs> so uh, we wanted to pull that away from the house as much as possible to catch as much sunlight as we could. So that was the site strategy. And then the, the modesty or the shape of the building and the form that you mentioned, and a lot of it's to do with just to do with um, relating to the existing building, but not necessarily kind of look for too much attention. We took cues from the, from the, um, the color of the white painted brick with a red brick base. And our new addition facing the street is on a red brick base, but we use this white shingle metal material to give it a bit of a kind of snake skin over the building. That, I mean, that's a great description. Snake skin It's kind of scaly um, and it's, mm. it's clearly very modern, but it really fits in um, beautifully with the building. The detailing on that is incredible as well as in you. I mean, this project in itself, I talked earlier about sort of how prolific you are as a company any project taken in isolation has so much within it as well and empire house definitely um but the the detailing of what was that kind of like of it's it's a real piece of craft this this building you must have had some incredibly good builders on it as well but what was it like taking that through the construction phase and getting it built yeah we had some amazing builders so preferred builders um paul from there was was fantastic he's a, a couple of his um, main people were, were on the shingles the whole way through um, and when, when we documented the house it actually, the pricing drawings went out with a lot of my hand drawn one is the five details 
And it was only when we got on site that we, you know, we knew what we wanted to do. And a lot of it was opening up the dialogue with the builder. Mark Austin here in the office is, is really good at that um, kind of second, second end of construction phase. And we'd be up there once a month working through details, one is to one, looking at different flashing details. And, um, but then also it's sending sketches. And it really was more of a conversation and dialogue um, with these highly skilled craftspeople. And is that what you're doing? You're usually there about once a month for a project? Because it's located in Canberra, right? So it's a few hours away from you guys are based in Melbourne, right? Yeah, that's right. It's kind of like Dublin to London. So, you know, it was a one hour flight. So we go up once a month. If we had a, a yeah. project here, um, we'd be once every two weeks. And from a climate perspective, so Canberra, as I understand, is is a slightly different climate to Melbourne in the sense that it has more extremes, very hot summers, very cold winters. And I think a lot of people would think with Australian houses, don't really need to think too much about insulation. But this project definitely had to consider um, these aspects. So you had to think very carefully um, about cooling but also from in terms of overheating um you described it as um a passive solar design could you describe what you mean by designing it with sort of passive solar principles yes absolutely so we've we've orientated if i focus on the kitchen particularly um we've orientated it to get as much northern exposure as possible and we have a concrete slab in there that will um to make use of thermal mass where the sunlight coming in will um, heat up the slab and then dissipate throughout the day and we also have a roof window with operable louvers so in summertime it could completely close down that north facade and uh, shut out any additional sun that we don't want but in winter time we've been getting texts from the owner saying that my house is 24 degrees inside and i have not turned on the heating <laughs> Um, it's just letting in the winter sun yeah and you know that kind of comes around from the um from that initial sketch up modeling that i mentioned and and i like the uh, you mentioned that. the louvers i really like just from a design point of view they're really nice and um i mean your background you you trained and grew up in ireland so you, yeah. you haven't been, how, how many years have you been in in australia for seven years now. seven years and um yeah just with the louvers a kind of i was looking at this project you know beforehand i mean i love it anyway and um just think maybe is that something that maybe we should be using more in in kind of uk i mean definitely with climate change it's a thing to be considering and things getting warmer anyway but it's such a great way of bringing lots of light in but still having control and it's not something that we we see that much over here in the uk but a very distinctive it, it's it's a very kind of aussie look actually having louvers on the outside yeah. Um, it is. We've even used it on a, a few projects like our Kia house or our Delator house, where we have um, bedrooms or dining rooms that are that are right in the street. And so it's used for sun and privacy. Sometimes you want to be open up and see what's going on outside, but sometimes you want to you know, close the facade down a little bit more. Um, in terms of the, um, I've read somewhere that the spaces are, are feel really good. You talked about the sort of climate when it's cold, um, but when it's hot as well, the advantage of them being pavilions, they're very small, aren't they? They're not massive spaces, no. but they feel big because they're so connected to the garden and they're open on all sides. So they benefit from what we call cross ventilation. So there's a breeze that can run through the kitchen. That must be a really lovely 
space to be in, particularly on kind of hot, sunny days. Exactly, exactly. Um, there's bifold doors and sliding doors, so the kitchen opens up on all sides. And one of the door, one of the windows just above the kitchen bench opens up too, and you know you can pass out a glass of wine across the window. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's it's really lovely. I was lucky enough to stay there um, twice as well when we when we were photographing it and another time. And yeah, just being being there in summertime with the whole place open is fantastic. That's um, that's interesting that you stayed there because I think. You know, if I asked a lot of architects, I think most probably won't have ever stayed in in houses that they've designed or very rarely. Um, Is that something you've done before or is that a unique thing with working on this project? Um, Actually, a few times. So I've stayed at our St. Andrew's Beach House once as well, which is the the circular house. That was that was amazing. Um, And I've also stayed at King Bill, which is down the road, maybe five minutes down the road here in Fitzroy. And what's so it is? What's it like? Like, what do you? I imagine you must learn quite a lot from that. Because really, getting yeah. a feel for the house—it's not stood with a client, it's not stood with a builder, and making notes and sketches. It's it's actually getting the time to really sort of feel the ambience of the space. What what have you learned from staying in some of these houses? Yeah, well, St Andrews just take as as one example. You know, fe- going down there and feeling that beach shack and um, atmosphere really. Um, some of that doesn't come through on the drawings, I suppose. When you go there and you, you can actually stay, unpack yourself and chill out there for a weekend, it was just felt really good. It, what, what I enjoy about visiting, staying at houses, but visiting buildings as well, is just getting a bit of a sense of the size of spaces, how they feel. And then at St. Andrews, there was things that, um, that you, you plan for and you hope work. But then when you wake up and the sun is streaming through that east facing window and you can hear the breeze and the, the ocean just beyond, yeah, it really makes it special. And, you know, it, it, makes, it, it makes all the effort and focus towards getting this outcome and feel really worth it. Mm-hmm. And usually we just hear it from the clients. It's nice to experience it for yourself as well sometimes and so in empire house did you when you were staying there did you get to use the kitchen as well were you cooking in there while you stayed because it's a beautiful kitchen oh, yeah it is no we, we didn't cook actually um but we we just hung out we and, and mark stayed up there as well and we just didn't want to leave we were just kind of hanging around the island bench for a while make a cup of tea and and then the next day we you know photographed it but we just found ourselves perching in all the odd spots that you think, oh, how will this ledge work or how will this, you know, opening where the door used to be work? And you just kind of gravitate to it. Any surprises with Empire House staying in there thinking I'd never considered this aspect of the design until I've stayed here? Um, no, nothing around the design. One thing that we did do is uh, we had it fully open on a really nice day. And then there's this these two magpies just came in and tried to <laughs> try to steal some of the stuff that we had to shoot them away. You know, it's, I suppose sometimes the house could be too open. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, the perils of inside outside living. The perils. <laughs> um, with the, the kitchen. Um, I mean, it'd be, oh, I mean, we could talk about so many aspects of this house and oh, we're going to, we're going to have to keep focus somehow, but, um, it's sort of like the kitchen Island. So I really like how it's, it's a very different kitchen Island. You've got the, the Island top, but then you've got this cantilever 
um, which mm. is a kind of sat underneath the island, so you can still have the pans sort of hidden. Um, but it cantilevers out and is a sort of breakfast bar that you can sit at. It's a really silly sort of practical thing, but a lot of people are always asking for, they want an island that they can sit at, um, but sometimes it's too high, you know, when you sat up on a stool. But if you've got the low table, it can sometimes look a bit kind of clunky with an island that sort of steps down. But here you guys have done it beautifully. Is that something new? Was that devised for this or is it a, a trick you've kind of used before on other projects? I think this is the first time that we did it and then we you know had that 150 mil change to get it from um from island height down to desk height and just seemed to work because the dining table was so close that you really only need a perch to be able to sit on on a laptop while somebody's standing chopping and and we had the space to open up towards the north there's also a little nice little bench seat and right beside it as well so it just seemed like a nice a nice spot for a little bit of a table um i could easily talk more about the materials you've used in this space um the way you've designed the lighting i love how it's kind of integrated in these really beautiful roof forms pitched roof forms that you've got in the pavilions the landscaping as well were you working with somebody there was there a consultant on board because i I love how the landscaping kind of just it's like the building's always been there it doesn't feel like this abrupt stop yeah we we used um uh, Sarah from Bush Projects, who we've collaborate, collaborated with a few, on a few projects. So actually Tower House as well and Charles House. Um, and yeah, I think we're just quite aligned with, um, with some of the, the plant selection and then also the quite informal paving as well. So, you know, we, we like the, the landscape to kind of come up and creep up on our buildings and not necessarily have a square of deck and paving. Um, in terms of the interiors, as I said, there's so many different things that I could could happily chat to you about, but I'm going to sort of put the onus on you to just sort of pick one thing. Um, if if we're giving advice to somebody that's that's doing a home or sees something like Empire House and is looking at sort of pictures of those on Dazeen or whatever and thinks that's the kind of thing I want to be doing on my house, what's like your one piece of advice of a really good tip of something to look out for or um, something to make sure you do in order to achieve that goal? Um, so advice for the clients. Yeah, I think I think I would say um, I think it's important to uh, you know to not look at a house and feel like you you need that thing. Um, it's important to be to be open about challenging your own ideas of what you want in a home. But I think the most important thing is uh, piece of advice would be to be decisive. You know, it's important to be open and trusting. Uh, with your architect's advice but really really important to be decisive because in the end you know you're you're buying time (laughs) architecture is time and the more time that we have to to focus on things the better we can make it but um so if there is one piece of advice i'd say some clear decision making and, and direction which just gives us more time to to focus on the fun stuff yeah that's good advice um i mean in terms of decisiveness as well uh, I've, I've found sometimes with clients they've sort of said after they've done a project they had a little bit of fear about certain things so less sort of decisiveness but more kind of conviction um and it's yeah. advice that some of our clients have sort of given when they've given reviews or were giving advice to other clients is um really have conviction like if there's a cool idea and it's let's say something simple like just painting a room bright yellow just yep. just kind of go for it because you will you won't regret it when you do it and you and sometimes we've had clients that gone 
they love the house, but uh, they wish that they'd also done that sort of little bit that we'd suggested, like the little sort of, there's once a small door for a kid's linking two kids' bedrooms. Like, uh, we wish we'd actually gone with that now. Um, so decisiveness and conviction, would you kind of agree with that? Yeah, I think so. Um, are there any things that you think, you know, when you're designing houses that are totally underrated? Like it's a thing that people don't put enough focus on. I think that just the general size, <laughs> size and compactness, um, particularly here in Australia, we have some of the largest homes in the world. And, you know, there is the temptation when you're looking at plans to add a meter, make it a bit bigger. But I think something that really is underrated and fundamental to the project is making it a bit more compact, you know, shaking off the loose bits and, and, um, focusing your efforts on more quality and less quantity. So, um, Ray, I'm going to, I've got three questions that I'm asking all of my guests um, on the show. Uh, and one of them starting with you and your home, because uh, I'm very interested in, um, I know I've got things that irritate me in my yeah. home. <laughs> so if you had to pick one thing that really annoys you in your home, what would it be? And um, in my home, I think it would be the, I, I have a one just an east facing window and i think that single orientation it just kills me it's great in the morning but i used to live in a space that had a north facing window and i love just lying down on the couch and feeling that direct sunlight come in and not having that now definitely feels like i'm missing out because i know i am <laughs> and if you could describe one home that you've lived in or that you have visited could be one of the projects that you've designed um that has made you feel happy um could you tell me what it was and why why it made you feel happy yeah there was uh there's a house down the road by an architect architects called baracko and wright uh, it's their rose street house and it's this beautiful kind of curved brick house overlooking a park and uh, it was open for a tour a couple of years ago and you know when you when you go in off the street it's it's quite restrained and confident but you wind up a spiral stair and then there's just this amazing horizontal band of windows looking over edinburgh gardens which is my favorite spot in melbourne and when i got up to that space i just felt really comfortable and at home uh, until i got kicked out <laughs> <laughs> but i think that's one that definitely uh, is somewhere i could see myself living very happily and why if you could put your finger on it what was what was it about the design that that made you feel that i think because it was it wasn't too fussy it was um on on the on that main living level it was beautiful timber joinery and uh, it was surrounded by all the owners objects you know obviously they it's quite well lived in but then there was a clear um clear direction or, or focus just towards the park and just that connection to outside and just felt very calming and if you could choose any designer to design you a new home who would you choose so many i know i know i could pull some people from the grave and get alvar alto or something like that but uh, i i think i would choose uh, irish architects called taka i'm not sure if you've come across them before i'm not familiar with them no fantastic and um, the, the main reason is uh, in my architecture nerding, I have uh, read both of their P 
PhDs, they, they've both done this PhD by practice. And they talk a lot about their, um, their use of precedence in buildings. So fragments and moments where they're replicating parts of buildings and um, trying to intensify and exaggerate the qualities of these buildings. But I think that um, the process of uh, designing a house or having them design a house for me would result, first of all, in an amazing house, but then also you know, a house that would have a lot of memories around the process and the conversations that got us there. Right. Well, I'll have to, I'll have to look into these and, um, and maybe get them on a future episode of the show. Um, oh, definitely. Ray, uh, that's been great. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed that. And um, I think one thing I've definitely learned is I'm going to start talking to clients about um, letting us stay in their house after we've finished it. Uh, maybe build, maybe build <laughs> it into our, into our contract agreements. Um, but Ray, thank yeah. you very much. Thank you very much. That was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to find out more about Austin Maynard Architects and Empire House, then please visit the website at anotherarchitecturepodcast.com, where you will find links to their work. You can also follow the podcast Instagram to see work of all my guests and sneak previews of upcoming guests. If you enjoyed listening to the episode, then please give us a review on iTunes or whichever platform you are listening on, as it's a great way to help other people find the podcast. I look forward to you joining me for the next episode. Thank you for listening.